All right, we are back. We probably should have mentioned on uh, the last segment that there's a nice article about another KDVS program. In this case, the California Aggie article about um, one of our newest programs here in the public affairs lineup at KDVS. That would be the Anarchist Handbook, which you can hear on Friday mornings. We'll be trying to speak with its hosts on this show sometime in the weeks to come as well. And also from the radio world, we want to note that there's been a retraction by the good people of the This American Life program in public radio about a piece they did on the conditions in a Japanese factory that makes Apple products that aired uh, in January. Evidently, that program was adapted from a man named Mike Daisy's theatrical monologue titled The Agony and the Ecstasy of Steve Jobs. It helped spark an anti-Apple backlash. Evidently, the producers of This American Life said that they'd found numerous errors in adapting Daisy's monologue for broadcast, including the number of factories he said he'd visited in China and the number of workers he'd spoken to. Mr. Daisy has conceded that he took shortcuts after his work was challenged by Ira Glass, the host and executive producer of This American Life, and Rob Schmitz, the China correspondent for the public radio program Marketplace, which first exposed Daisy's inaccuracies. And unfortunately, we've been trying to avoid this issue, but the matter of contraception seems to have become a political issue, thanks to the GOP candidates and the fact that uh, the right wing has long ago taken over the Republican Party. In a related story, one of the few moderate Republicans left in Congress, Senator Olympia Snow of Maine, has decided to step down. Earlier this month, capping three weeks of dysfunctional sporadic debate on a massive highway bill, the Senate finally voted on an amendment to the measure, except that uh, that vote had nothing to do with highway jobs and everything to do with election year politics. And this I'm quoting Andrew Taylor from the AP. Olympia Snow, a moderate, was the only Republican to join with Democrats on a politically freighted vote that affirmed an Obama administration directive that requires employers to provide contraception coverage to their workers, regardless of religious or ethical concerns. Senator Snow is going to leave the Senate at the end of this year, voicing frustration that that body is simply too polarized and that she doesn't know whether she could be productive in a fourth Senate term. Quote, it's a reflection of the political dynamic in America, where we don't look at America as a whole. We look at it through a red and blue prism. And so it becomes more divisive, and I think ultimately has manifested itself in the Senate and an overall process that lends itself to dysfunction and political paralysis that doesn't allow problems to be solved. Of course, things aren't much better in the House. Writing in the LA Times, Pat Morrison asked, What year is it again? referring to Representative Daryl Issa's congressional hearings on the Obama administration's contraceptive policy in February. Well, anyone watching that might have felt they've stepped back into the 1950s. The conservative Republican, who is chairman of the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, initially did not invite a single woman to testify, and in fact rejected one woman who wanted to talk about her need for birth control pills to address a medical problem. Instead, five male clergymen appeared before the first panel, After an uproar, Issa then brought in two token women who sided with the Catholic Church's moral condemnation of contraception. No wonder three of the panel's Democratic members walked out in protest. Said Senator Patty Murray, Democrat Washington, I felt like I was waking up on the set of Mad Men. Writing in thedailybeast.com, Michelle Goldman asked, Have Republicans completely lost their minds? 
Now, they're not only vowing to ban abortion, they're challenging the need and morality of contraception even for married women. In an, editorial, the new Repu- in an editorial, the New Republic said, no one should be surprised by this. Ever since the Republicans took control of the House of Representatives last year, this heavily religious, male-dominated party has displayed a regressive, even radical attitude toward women's rights. First came the GOP's attempts to defund Planned Parenthood last year. Then came the casually ugly statements of conservatives like Rick Santorum, who has smugly called for all abortions to be criminalized, even in the case of rape or incest. Last week, his billionaire backer, Foster Freeze, crudely joked that back in the good old days, contraception consisted of telling women to place aspirin between their legs so they'd keep them closed. Over the past 40 years, women have successfully fought for equality in this society, and the ability of women to make their own reproductive decisions has been a central part of this revolution. They note Republicans have put women on notice that these advances are all in jeopardy. Now, I must say, in the midst of all this is Rick Santorum, an avid Catholic, running for the Republican nomination for president, and, of course, my former church's strange policies about contraception. When I say my former church, I would note that I was uh, born into a Catholic family. I was baptized a Catholic. I received uh, numerous Catholic sacraments, communion, uh, confirmation as a uh, pre-teenager. And I must say, I, I would say in retrospect, I was probably a pretty good Catholic boy right up to the point where logic came to dominate my life. In my opinion, what logic dictated and what the Catholic Church claimed uh, one had to follow to be a good Catholic created an unresolvable conflict. So does the Catholic Church's no contraception policy has raised its ugly head in this political arena of 2012. Noted the Sacramento News and Review in an editorial, the continuing argument between some GOP politicians and the rest of contemporary America about the position of contraceptives as, bathi- as basic health care for women is ridiculous on its surface, but it still manages to serve a purpose. It makes clear how the practice of tying health care to employment is utterly dangerous. Can you imagine how outraged people would be if an employer who was one of Jehovah's Witnesses refused to allow his employees' health insurance to cover medically necessary blood transfusions? Or what about the member of the Church of Scientology who has a legitimate conscious issue about providing prescription coverage for employees' mental health needs? Should she be able to tell an employee with depression, sorry about that, my religion says you may not have medication? Yet, this is precisely the position that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is taking. Even if, as is the case with many employees of Catholic hospitals, colleges and universities, and charitable institutions, the workers are not Catholic. The Church reserves the right to make moral judgments about their health care. We think the compromise offered by the Obama administration, in which employees who do not share the Church's belief about contraception may access those services directly from the insurer without cost to the Church, is a good one. An even better solution would be to remove health insurance's connections to employment. The bishops are wrong here. The free exercise of their religion ends where the bodies of their employees begin, and those employees have a right to access any health care service they choose with compensation they have earned for their labor. 
Now, it is a fact that various Catholic uh, organizations, we particularly note Dignity Health, the new name of Catholic Healthcare West, has been going around California buying up various health facilities. Unfortunately, when they have done so, they then subsequently, on occasion, institute Catholic policy and then start denying contraceptive services. In a real example sent to us by a listener, a physician listener known by me to be a reliable source, we have the following. Doug, this employee of our hospital was having a laparoscopic hernia repaired and also wanted a vasectomy. Our hospital administration said no to the vasectomy, saying that it was birth control and against the Catholic policy. Some of us called the legal department, and they said it was okay to do both procedures as the employee could not go to another hospital without paying significantly more. Because the employee had no choice, the lawyers said it was okay to the sterilization along with the hernia. (laughs) Notes this correspondent. So the lawyers actually helped, adding that silly Catholic policies were overcome by the barristers and common sense to help the patient finally. And by all means, if you know of other instances of this sort of thing taking place, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. This correspondent is highly confident this is just the tip of the iceberg. All right, and in a not at all related, but in its own way, I suppose equally hair-raising story, we have this item from Fresno. But this correspondent, I think, can tell you from direct personal experience, this is not something isolated to Fresno. It happens here in Sacramento and all through the Central Valley and I think everywhere in America. But the story is as follows. Dateline Fresno. Two homeless men in Fresno have called for an ambulance an average of nearly twice a day for more than a year, racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in costs and even more when they get to the hospital. They are Fresno County's highest volume ambulance users, frequent flyers as they're called in the business, and their 1,368 combined trips make up 1.3% of all American ambulance calls in the county last year. I call all the time, Caesar Aranya, 41, said while sitting in a bus stop downtown. I have major problems with my liver. Lonzel McPeters, 51, has seizures and said he grows concerned when he senses one coming on. I'd be having a seizure on a regular basis, said McPeters, wearing a neck brace to stabilize a broken C7 vertebra after a January seizure. I call them when I feel like I'm having a seizure. Because the men don't pay for the rides, the bulk of the cost is passed on to others in the form of higher insurance rates. Taxpayers pick up a part of the tab through Medi-Cal and other government programs. This was prompted as a response from a reader on uh, the B website saying, A few years back, our local TV station ran a piece on how the ambulance service can't make the decision to turn anyone down if they call 911. They have to transport, so the reporter was explaining how people abuse the system to get a ride, a $750 ride to the medical center for a visit to their doctor instead of calling a cab. Said the reader, it's amazing how the less fortunate can't hold down a job but can learn to work the system to get so many benefits. By the way, had those two men uh, actually paid for their ambulance rides, they would have racked up a cost of $545,000. Since Fresno County gives the American Ambulance Company a flat rate of 70000 a year for calls from the indigent, uh, 
as you might imagine, they're not quite covering the bill. And yes, we do have to talk about um, these matters if we're going to discuss health care reform in this country. I remember watching a guy call an ambulance to come to the UC Davis Sacramento Medical Center, and then upon arrival, check out AMA, against medical advice, say he didn't want to be seen any further, and walk away. He was basically using the ambulance as a cab ride to get across town. Of course, the sad part about this and telling the story is that there's a possibility that some dirtbag out there with a radio on is going to hear this and go, Hey! All right, I don't want to end on a downer, so let's see if we can't find something a little more positive. How about this one? Hajimi Kimata of the Unitika Central Hospital in Japan took the time to show an 87-minute video to 26 people who were allergic to dust mites, cedar pollen, or cat dander. One was Charlie Chaplin's classic comedy, Modern Times. The other was a documentary about the weather. Kimata then tested the subjects and found that they were much less likely to have an allergic reaction after watching the Charlie Chaplin video, providing still more evidence that laughter can have a positive impact on health. And since we are trying to have a positive impact on health, we need to, I think, have a a real laugh to end the program today with. All right, let's go out with two items. First from The Onion. Headline, posters of naked women failed to draw real naked women to dorm room. Dateline, Manhattan, Kansas. A trio of posters depicting scantily clad women hung recently in a Kansas State University dorm room have had, quote, little or no effect, unquote, in facilitating the presence of actual naked women in that room. The posters, manufactured by alcoholic beverage companies as promotional items, were intended to establish a fun party-like atmosphere in which the presence of naked women would be encouraged. Their actual effect, however, has been minimal, if non-existent, a KSU housing department study found. And this item from James Israel's phone news section of the Humor Times. New York, what began as a light-hearted ribbing in the cockpit of U.S. Airways Flight 519 on Monday morning ended with Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger landing his second plane of the year in the frigid waters of New York's Hudson River. While Sullenberger's first crash landing in the river was necessitated by what FAA officials termed a double bird strike, investigators speculate yesterday's incident was the result of a hazardous in-flight double dog dare. We had just lifted off the ground when I joked... I bet you couldn't ditch in the Hudson again if you tried, said co-pilot Jim Klein. Air traffic controller William Evans was in touch with Solenberger throughout the ordeal. We received word of a possible dare during takeoff at approximately 10.14 a.m., stated Evans. When Solenberger radioed back soon after to inform us the situation escalated to a double-dog dare, our worst fears were realized. All right, that about does it for today's program which was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Will Durst, and thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in as you do week in and week out. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.